We're in the second week of our series called The Worry Box. We're talking about the things in our life that cause us the most worry and the anxieties that we have. We, we fill this box with thing after thing, and sometimes we will uh, overcome a certain worry, and it will leave the box only to be replaced by another one. Jesus cares about our worries, and Jesus cares about us. So last week, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, as we will do for the next number of weeks as well, where in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus identifies five things that we tend to worry about. There's our friend Vanessa Rayner who helped us realize that you have a, there's good alliteration to remember these, the five F's. Last week we talked about fashion, how there are the ways that we dress and the ways that we judge others for the ways they dress that we can tend to worry about. Today we'll talk about finances. Next week we'll be talking about family and food and the future. Those are our next few weeks. But today let's turn our attention to Matthew 6, 19 through 21 as we just read. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all of God's people said, Amen. Most pastors, I know, have quite a few quote books on their shelves. Nowadays, we also have the internet to where we can look up sayings as well. I, I never go to a quote or try to pull one just to pad my sermons. Michael and I don't do that. I just try to make ourselves sound smarter. Most of the things we reference are things that we've read, things that matter to us. But these resources, they can be good. Uh, it can be good for finding inspiration or for pointing us in a new direction. One thing, though, I noticed about these quote books and searching online is that there's one topic that is relatively larger than almost every other one. If you go through these books, you'll realize that there are more sayings about finances, about money, than just about anything else. And there's some really good ones. And there's some really bad ones. Some of my favorites include these. Christopher Marlowe once said, Money can't buy love, but it improves your bargaining position. Will Rogers once said, too many people spend money they earned to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't even like. Oscar Wilde said, when I was young, I thought that money was the most important thing. And now that I'm old, I know that it is. Oscar Wilde also, he's a character. He also said, anyone who lives within their means suffers from a lack of imagination. Money's also the topic of some of our favorite songs, isn't it? Pink Floyd saying, money, it's gas. Grab that cash with both hands and make a stash. New car, caviar, four-star daydream, think about me. Football team. Logan, Loggins and Messina. Even though we ain't got money. I'm so in love with you, honey. Steve Miller told us to who? Take the money and run. Chris Jansen told me that it can buy me a boat and a truck to pull it. And Biggie Smalls said, more money, more problems. How about the movies? Almost all the movies we watch are about people trying to acquire money or riches. Treasure hunts to Wall Street trading. Steve Martin in Three Amigos said, no dough, no show. Fast Eddie Felsen in The Color of Money said, money won is twice as sweet as money earned. And who can forget Jerry Maguire yelling into the phone, show me the money. Money's everywhere. It's the content of our media. It's the engine 
that drives advertising is the reason for college football conference realignment. Our lives are inundated with this topic of money. So why do I get in trouble when I talk about it from the pulpit? What is it? And people like hear all sorts of things from their preachers. They love it whenever we talk about how Jesus cares about us, teaches us how to pray. We love to talk about Jesus' peace and grace. I love all those things, and I love to hear them when I'm not preaching. But when we get close to somebody's politics or pocketbooks, that's when people start getting a little squirmy. But here's the thing. The Bible is not silent on this subject. The Holy Scriptures we consider each week actually have a lot to say about money. Ecclesiastes 5, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Hebrews 13, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you nor will I forsake you. First Timothy tells us that the love of money is the root of all evil, and Jesus himself talks more about money than about the afterlife or about marriage or about worship. Money is the second most common topic in all of Jesus' teachings, second only to his lordship. Today we heard Jesus say, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whether we like it or not, money is on Jesus' mind just as much as it's on ours. But it might be in very different ways. But this is not a give us your money sermon. This is not, hey everybody, you're all bad people. <laughs> no. Because the reason why Jesus talks about it so much it's because he doesn't want us to worry about it. But we all do. We all find ways to worry about money. I wonder why, though. Well, I mean, at its most basic level, what is money? The physical money you can hold in your hand? It's actually meaningless. It's just paper. I forgot in my jacket my props, which I rarely use in the sermon. I had a, a $500 bill from Monopoly and a $50 bill from the U.S. Treasury. And if you were to imagine these in your mind with me, which one is real and which one is fake? Because if you were to take that $50 bill and try and use a monopoly, it's not going to go very far. All of the properties cost way more. They're the hundreds and thousands. You, you can't buy Park Place for 50 bucks. And if you were to try to take that monopoly dollar to the McDonald's, you're not even going to get anything off the dollar menu. Money, it means different things in different contexts. It means different things for all of us. Most of us at some point will worry about it. And I think each of us will worry about it in one of three ways. For some of us, we worry whether we will have any money. The amount of money we have is often directly related to ours and our family's safety. We worry if we will have enough money to provide food and shelter for us and the ones we love. Whether we'll have enough money, whether we have any money, to pay for life's basic needs. It's really easy for a person of means who has a good job, 
a savings account, disposable income to say, well, we shouldn't worry about money. Because they're not living in fear of what it's like to not have any. But being able to pay bills is a real thing for most of the people in the world. And the inability to do so can cause major worry. It's why from the very beginning, God's church has prioritized answering people's worries by trying to help answer their needs. It's why we have a society of St. Stephen that helps with the working poor. It's why we have Meals on Wheels. It's why we support hospitals and orphanages in Tanzania. It's why we support Babies First here in Mobile and Dumas Wesley and all of the other outreach ministries we try to partner with. It's why in our church we recommend things like Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University to help us learn how to handle the basics of money, how to budget properly, how to save if we can, how to evaluate our spending. This is not some blanket endorsement of Dave Ramsey, nor do I think his content is for everybody. There's plenty of financially secure people who have no need or care for his work. But I can say I've seen people's lives changed. People's financial realities completely turned around by taking his or other similar courses. Because when we worry about whether or not we have any money, our desire is not for the money itself. The worry is for safety. We all want to be able to provide for ours and our family's safety. But once our basic needs are met, we should be done worrying about money, right? Once we have food and shelter and safety, we shouldn't have to worry about it anymore. But like many things in our worry box, we just take it out and replace it with something else. Once we have any money, we worry whether or not we will have enough money. I mean, technically, anything beyond our basic needs is land out. I read this week from Scott Galloway that if you are healthy, have someone who loves you, and enjoy a household income greater than $34,000 that you're the top 1% globally. I mean, think about it. I bet you know a number of people who meet that criteria, whose life is safe and secure. More than 99 out of 100 people. But I bet out of all the folks you know in that 1%, do any of them seem stress-free? Are you free of worry? I had a conversation with Reverend Kathy this week in preparing for this sermon and she shared to me her experience of raising four children on a single mother's salary, a single mother in church work in the 80s and 90s, mind you. And she said her and her children would have a lot of discussions about the difference between necessities and luxuries. They go to the grocery store, and they see paper towels and say, that's not a luxury because we have hand towels that we can wash at home. Or, that's not a necessity. It is a luxury because we can use the washable ones. She'd see coffee. And though as a tired mother, she'd very much want it, that wasn't the thing that was going to keep her family nourished. If you ask Kathy, she'll talk about how wonderful it is now. That some of those things that were once out of reach luxuries have just become normalcies. And I can testify that Kathy has not been corrupted by non-essentials. She, like all of us, finds simple pleasures in things that can enhance our lives. There is nothing wrong with wanting non-essential things that can enhance your life. Things that can help us experience simple pleasures in life. It is not a bad thing for you to pay for TV so you can watch your favorite TV. Well, it might have been last night. It's also not a bad thing for you to want more than one outfit so you don't have to keep washing your clothes every evening. 
But the things that enhance our lives become worries when we depend upon them for our own significance. When we begin to measure our lives and justify our lives by acquiring things that others have. When we begin to desire more and more so we can be just like or better than everybody else. We begin to think that our life is less significant because it doesn't look like our neighbor's. Or does it look like the perfectly lit photos on the social medias of the nice houses and the nice cars and the nice vacations? Those kind of worries can make the most fortunate people in the world and convince us that we don't have enough. Enough to keep up appearances, enough to get our kids into certain colleges so that they'll be significant, enough to be allowed into elite groups. And no sooner than we believe that we do not have enough, then do we start beginning to believe the even greater lie that we are not enough. When we begin to see our significance based on what we have, we will always feel worthless. We think, I have a house, but they have a nicer house. I wonder, do I have enough to get a nicer house? I have a car, but they have a nicer car. Should I get a nicer car? One of the fundamental practices of being a Christian is learning when to say enough is enough. When we worry about our own significance, the first thing we should do is name and cherish the blessings that God has already given. More importantly than that, we should remember that God remembers us. That's our significance. That's what makes you great. It's not all the things that you have. It's not all the things that you can acquire. It's the one who has you, the one who holds us in his arms. We are insignificant because of stuff we will never have enough unless we realize that our significance comes from God. But even if we get to that place, right? Even if we're able to appreciate what we have and find our significance in God, there might still be one more worry that we find ourselves falling into. We may no longer worry about having any money or getting enough, but even the best of us can worry about keeping it. It's the worry of security. It's the worry that things might not always be as good as they are right now. It's this false hope that we can secure today's goodness and make it last for forever. You know, that's the primary thing Jesus was talking about in our passage this morning. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. For people in the first century, treasures weren't just precious metals, or paper dollars. Values and riches were also in clothing and in grains and in other perishable items. Jesus is being really practical here. He's saying, why would you put all of your worth in something that when placed in a storehouse could be damaged and lose all its value? But there's also a deeper reality at work beyond the practicality of protecting against depreciation. Jesus recognizes the mental agony of worry that comes from making sure the things you've accumulated are secure. If you have to build storehouses and place your treasures there, they're supposed to provide for you and your family into the future, you're going to constantly be worried about it, right? You're going to be going to check on it. If the size of your storehouse is going to have in your mind an impact on your legacy and what you leave behind, the state of those stored up treasures are going to be constantly worrying you. How many times a week 
do you check your retirement account? How much more do we watch the news and think about our monetary policies now that we think about the things we've stored up here on earth? And again, like non-essential things, planning for retirement is a good thing. It is not bad to have a 401k to make sure that you can provide for yourself and so that you're not a burden on your family. But here again, our worry isn't about the money, but we worry about whether or not we're able to have enough to make us secure. But if you let those worries about money, those worries about security take over our lives, then there's one thing that can help us move in a new direction. It's to begin remembering that the only things that are ever really secure are the things God cares about. Those king things that are kingdom treasures. Jesus says, the things of this earth will fade, but treasures of heaven will last forever. And it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. There are now and there will be in the future plenty of things that could cause you worry. But God doesn't want us to worry about these things. God doesn't want our lives to be inundated with anxiety. The reason Jesus, though, doesn't want us to worry about finances, it's not because finances don't matter. But because when we worry over them, Jesus knows that that can be the most corrupting force in our lives. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever you treasure will consume you. And if your treasure is stuff or status, then you'll be placing your soul in things that will fade away. In things you cannot control. In things that can be taken from you at any moment. And so, of course, you're going to worry about those things. So he suggests an alternative. He says, instead of storing up for yourself treasures on earth, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Put your heart into the things that will last. When you do that, you don't have to worry about what happens to those things, those things that have value, because nothing can take them away from eternity. And so we're left asking, well, what does it look like to store up for yourself treasures in heaven? What does that mean? Well, it's simple. If treasures on earth are stored up by buying and spending our time accumulating things for ourselves, then treasures in heaven are stored up by the same means, by the blessing of others, by doing good, by spending time in service, and yes, by giving things away. If you have safety in your life, then you can help others have safety too. If you can afford a few simple pleasures, then trust me, the only ones that will really matter in this life and the next are the ones that you can share with others. When you can open your home, let others come in for it to be a place of refuge, respite, hospitality. I mean, that's the, that's the prescription in Scripture time and time again. In Luke 16, what we call the parable of the shrewd manager, Jesus says, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Later in Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells the rich young ruler, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. In Acts 2, we're told that the early church gave away all they had. They sold their possessions and gave to each other so that nobody was in need. And in 1 Timothy 6, Paul says, 
Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. It's so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Letting go a portion of our money. As Christians, we believe it's the way we let go of money's power over us. And of course, when we say this, every time we say, you know, we don't talk much about it in our church on the Sunday mornings, typically about twice a year. But I always get questions about, well, how much and what and gross and net and all these things. What about tithing? Tithing comes from Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. But as Christians, Paul told us we're no longer bound to this law. The tithe is one of those rules of the Old Testament traditions that we no longer have to follow legalistically. You will never hear me or any of the preachers here give some sort of legalistic, here's how you have to do this to be a good Christian. Here's what it means for you. to. Do. We're never going to set that precedent for you. What you give, where you give, how you give. We just believe that if we want to lose the worry of money over our lives, we have to release the power it has over us. And the only way we know how to do that is learning how to give some away. Give away all God calls you to give. A tithe is at least for us, for me personally, my best goal for Brianna and me. But when we first got married, we weren't tithing. We made $18,000 between the two of us. If we tithe, we'll be two months of rent. We weren't there. We couldn't do that. But we set that as our goal. Not because somebody told us we had to, or not because our membership vows mandated that we had to tithe or else we couldn't go to church there or we miss whatever special privileges of membership come with tithing. There's no levels here. But for us, it has been a blessing. And I can say that every pastor in our church puts our money where our mouth is, and all four of us tithe to this church because we believe in it. It has been a blessing for me and Brianna to know that the money that we are trying to not have control over us is being used to do things that we know God cares about. And so if you're here today and you're worrying about money, let me say that particularly, if you're in the season where tithing would put you in a place where you're worried about your safety, please do not feel guilty. Please don't feel like this is not a place for you. Part of the good news is that this is a church that cares and wants to help and wants to provide. And the people of this church are generous and there's, there should be nobody here today who should have to worry about groceries next week or your power bill or your gas tank. If you are hanging by a thread, let us know. Let me know. I've been there. I know what it's like to only make it by by the generosity of somebody else. We want to be a church that can care for one another. And we can't do everything, but we can do enough to make sure you have your daily bread and hopefully more. And if you're here today and you know that you have enough, but you also know that it never quite feels like you have enough, then this is my invitation to you. Don't start filling your worry box with yet another thing that will rot or rust or be forgotten. Draw some line in the sand and give to something eternal. Whatever amount you give, at least start somewhere. And if you think that I or the church talks about money too much, if you don't trust us, that's fine. Start somewhere else. 
Find a place where you can find the joy of letting go of that worry and being a blessing. That's a fine way to start until you can learn to trust me or us. The what is given here doesn't just go into the preacher's pockets. We believe that God is doing great work in this place. But ultimately what we want is that you will not invest your time in worry. We don't want your mental energy to be strung out on things that won't last. We want you to find the goodness that comes from storing treasures up in heaven. We do not want money to have power over you. More than we want to be able to have some, 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 some grand budget to spend money. What we want is that money will have no power over us. Because that's what Jesus wants. And that we can relinquish this worry in whatever form may present itself. And know that whatever it means to any of us, it is not the thing that defines our significance. You are already significant. Because you are already God's. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.